are entering the Freedom Hut. A big day for Trump on trade as a major deal with Mexico is poised to go through. The markets are surging and Trump's popularity is staying right where it's been despite much of the negative press that he's received in the last couple of weeks. We'll talk about that, plus the politicization of the passing of Senator John McCain in many ways from many sides. We'll get into that and also the fight over gun control in the aftermath of yet another mass shooting. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Coming to you live from Los Angeles, California, out here for a couple of days. Enjoying the lovely weather. It's a, a fun place. Great food. Lots of lots of uh, gluten-free options, which is always exciting for me. Now, we have much to get to today. I missed you all on Friday. I'm sorry I had to fly out and uh, was unable to do the show live. Then I am back, though, back in action and uh, excited for the opportunity. I'll tell you what, though, you know, over the weekend, before I get into this on the news today, because a lot of you will have heard some of that anyway, and we'll break into the headlines and break it all down for you coming come on up here in just a few minutes. But I read over the weekend in its entirety, uh, Ann Coulter's new book, uh, which is Resistance is Futile. And, you know, we had Ann on the show last week, and, and I've, I can tell you, I've actually read all 13 of Ann's books, I think, at this point. Uh, well, I've read every book she's ever written. I think it's 13 of them. So I was reading this book, and, I, and it was really important, and I, I, would, I would tell you all to go back and, re- and read it too, because one of the problems that we have here when we're trying to assess where we are in this whole saga over Russia and collusion and Trump is that they change the storyline, and they change the, they, they're changing so much of the narrative so quickly as they go that it's easy to forget that the country is really in the, in the grips of a mass hysteria. That people have uh, have lost it and they are no longer objective in their assessments of what's going on with this president. They are no longer able to view things for what they really are, uh, to take a step back. And, and, and I know that we've been talking about this a lot, but when you go back and see how just filthy, dirty, underhanded the whole Russia collusion concoction is from the earliest days... It's tough to take any of these people seriously anymore. It's tough to feel like uh, these journalist outfits that are all upset because they're not getting the respect that they think they deserve. They should feel lucky that they all still have jobs and platforms and that anyone takes them seriously. But, of course, if they're hashtag resistance, it's about a cause, folks. It's about activism. It's really not about journalism. It's not about presenting you with the facts and, and making sure that the American people are informed. It's almost like they are... Uh, that the uh, the mainstream media is engaged in a political campaign. And all that matters to them is that they win. In this case, though, the campaign is that Trump loses or that Trump is destroyed as, as a candidate. Uh, and that's getting harder and harder for them based on the facts. Uh, you know, today you have this, and we'll get into some more of the specifics of it, that the trade deal, though, that looks like oh, the Senate has, I mean, the uh, Senate has to take action still, but trade deal looks like it's going to happen in, Mexico markets hitting new highs today and the country still thriving 
economically. Um, haven't heard a lot about terrorist attacks recently, around, you know, at least in this country, and that are attacking us or our allies. You know, jihadism seems to be, it's not defeated. I'm not saying that. You know, Iran is making noise about the Straits of Hormuz, and there's, there's plenty of problems out there, folks. I get it. But it does feel like there's a different tone. You know, we're not supposed to be living in fear anymore of what our enemies may do because in the Trump era, we are reminded once again that we are the biggest, baddest player on the block and nobody should be stepping out of line to the United States. That's a different, that's a different feeling, isn't it? Um, you haven't heard much about you, you. You haven't had a, at least not yet, you have not had a, uh, a race riot that has burned down whole sections of a, a whole neighborhood of a city. Uh, that hasn't happened. You know, there's a there's a different tone in the country right now. As much as they want to tell you that things are terrible and it's awful and it's bad, that's a lie. And and from reading Ann's book, I think you can see the desperation to continue on with with this farce, which is what it is now. This farce that Trump is terrible. He's a fascist. He's a Nazi. He's destroying the country. All this, uh, and it's exhausting. And, and I start to think that maybe the plan is just to exhaust all of us into finally if not agreeing with them, which I will never do, ceasing to man the barricades, so to speak. I just I can't put up with these crazies anymore. I mean, they see good economic numbers and they want to claim that it's the Obama economy. Well, we all know that if the numbers were bad, they'd be saying, see, we told you Trump was unfit to lead the economy. We know that. We see that there's no evidence of, of Russia collusion. And in fact, you're hearing more than ever now about how, wait a second, if, if it's a campaign expenditure problem for for Trump, that, you know, he paid off these women that, that have these alleged affairs with him, whether you know he knew about it beforehand or not, his lawyer and all this stuff, Cohen's involved. Why is it OK for Hillary to do that? And how is it not foreign interference in our elections to use foreign sources and a foreigner to run? The answer is they, they don't have an answer. They just keep switching around the plan of attack. And they really, I think they hope to exhaust us with their mania. Uh, and that was that was. I was running through my mind as I was reading Ann's book over the weekend. I was running through my memory that just this is how they are. We assume, you know, it's the same reason why you look at some of these protests that happen and these these movements that prop up and these people that are showing up. And, oh, my gosh, they're so upset and the resistance and they're breaking car windows. And and a lot of us say, you know, the problem is that we don't we don't take to the streets over every little thing because we have jobs and things to do. And also can keep politics in one place in our lives without letting it overtake every aspect of our lives. The left isn't really capable of that these days. Politics has become an all-encompassing belief system. It's really become a religion replacement for them. And I see it a lot out here in California, too, where now I mean, it's uh, people talk to me and, and their anti-Trumpism, they wear it like some badge of honor all the time. And it's hard to have a conversation with somebody where they don't work into it. Oh, you know, Trump. Oh, you know, something about how Trump is bad. And you really get a sense of their virtue signaling because this is this is like people walking around trying to let everybody know that they're on the good guy team all the time. The good guy team is hating Trump. And it's just a it's a strange thing. It's a bizarre thing. I always also find it amusing when anyone finds out that I work in media for the first time and they think that I really want to get into some discussion about Trump with them. And I'm like, I just want to actually have a coffee. You know, can I? Can I get a coffee or, you know, can I can I buy a sandwich? I don't really want to debate the merits of Trumpism right now. <laughs> well, I've got 20 people in line behind me. Can I just 
have a sandwich. They go, wait, don't I know you from? No, 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 no. Just unless you're Team Buck, but then I always know because then they smile and they're nice. You know, it's when they see me, they're like, I think I've seen you on TV. Were you on Fox? Oh no, no, that's some other guy with an incredible side swoop mane of hair. Um, some other guy that you're thinking of that fits into that category. So uh, anyway, it's it's just. It's remarkable to me. And then you get into this. Uh, and I was asked today several times by people, just run of the mill. I was interacting with in different ways. You know, what do you think of the what do you think of the situation with with John McCain? And I say, well, what am I what do I think about this? Let, let me tell you what I think about this. All right. This the, the I don't like and, and I, I have to say this up front. You know, M- Megan McCain was the host of this show before me. Megan is a lovely person and I wish her and her family all of the. You know, all of God's love and, and, and all the healing and the time to, to grieve properly that anybody can have uh, and should have in this process. She lost her dad, right? So I mean, can, we need to put all that aside for a moment, though. I, I would like to put all that aside. And also, I know, um, you know, Megan's husband, Ben Dominich, is a good friend. I know he's feeling this loss very deeply. I just spoke to Ben about this in the last few weeks. I, I need someone to make a determination as to whether, you know, are, are we in a grieving period where we just celebrate a man's life or are we being asked to pass political pronouncements because because this is what i get uncomfortable with this is what i i don't like about this whole process people are asking me today you know what, what do you think of what trump is doing here and i go i i don't i don't want to speak for trump when it comes to his reactions to what's going on or what's going on here with the the mourning period for john mccain i just want to speak for me I, i'm not I, and and then it goes even further into, you know, are you willing to celebrate John McCain's heroism? And and I said, well, of course, you know, this do, do I think, you know, there are some things that I, I can sit back and think to myself, rightly or wrongly. Maybe if I were in that position, I, I think I would have done the the same thing or the right thing. You know, I, I could sit there and tell you that I, I really do believe in my in my heart of hearts that if I were the school resources officer outside of the shooting in Parkland, Florida, when that happened. And I'm there and I'm trained and I've got a firearm and I know there are kids inside and they're counting on me. I'm going through that door. I've never had a moment's doubt that that would have been my reaction. Now, you could say, Buck, easy to say. I, I get that, right? But I, in, in my heart of hearts, I truly, truly believe that. I cannot sit here and tell you that if I went through a, a fraction of what John McCain went through, I would have kept it together. Uh, wouldn't have completely, you know, lost it. Uh, wouldn't have wanted to leave. In fact, quite honestly, I think I would have broken with a, with a fraction of what John McCain had gone through. Not been in a position to lead his fellow POWs and and to help, you know, keep their spirits up and bring them home. So, so I I look at what he did there with with true reverence because I know that I wouldn't have been able to do what he did there. I know it, and I would never pretend for a second that I'd be able to do any of that. But when people are asking me then, well, how do you feel about this? And, and, and they're bringing Trump into it. I say, well, hold on a second. I, this is not, I'm not going to let this become like climate change where someone says, do you believe in climate change? And it's a yes or no answer. And if it's yes, then everything that they want to come along with that must come along with that. Well, then you have to agree with me on this policy issue and you have to agree that, you know, this Republican policy is terrible and that, uh, you know, the coal industry is destroying our air and you know all these other things that come together with it. No, no, no. You know, we, we can have a discussion about whether it is appropriate or not to do more than just 
pay respects to the family as a nation, the ma- a man who ser- served his country honorably, but and, and beyond just honorably, served his country in, in exemplary fashion, and then also served in the Senate. But I mean, I can tell you that, uh, and, and I'm not comparing them on any kind of a, a, a moral level, but I wasn't celebrating Teddy Kennedy's Senate career after he passed away. So I, I can celebrate John McCain's military service without having to celebrate his political policies and, and legacy, right? I mean, that, that seems fair to me. And what, what I see happening here is everyone wants to, to create a, a polarization on this issue where there shouldn't be any polarization, right? It, we should be able to look at somebody. You can tell me, Buck, don't, it, it's too soon, don't, but as we know, everyone's, it's, uh, are the flags at half staff or half mast or not? Or, you know, is it, this is now an issue. It's been, it's been turned, the media has turned this into an issue. The, the national conversation today involving John McCain has, has made this an issue. And you've got people engaged in all kinds of virtue signaling around it and everything else. So, so to pretend like I can avoid it and not speak about it feels a little, um, it's just not unrealistic. It feels unrealistic to me. But then there's this other feeling that I have where there is nothing that is sacred to the, to the uh, anti-Trump left, even when they're pretending to be engaged in what would otherwise be, I think, behavior and thoughts that we could all be supportive of. So, you know, it, it is a good thing to be respectful of somebody who uh, was a a uh, member of armed services who had an incredible record and, and did some very uh, brave, did some very brave things. And to say, you know, we appreciate that and we wish all the best to his family. Right? That's an but I do not think it's an exemplary thing to, to do that and then turn around and say, and also, by the way, you have to tell me now that this guy had an amazing Senate career and was great for conservatism in this country and was an incredible politician and, and no criticism allowed or else. That feels like a forced reverence for things that we should not have to revere. And people are doing that, right? I'm, I'm seeing it all over the place and I, and I don't like it. I don't think it's right. And I also think that with with Trump, yes, there's a personal component to this. He he did not. I, I really do think that he did not like John McCain. He's put out a statement, uh, official statement, honoring his service. Fine. But all this other goading of John of, of rather of, of Trump around how he's not showing enough due reverence to uh, Senator McCain. To me, it strikes me as uh, putting him in an unfair position. Um, that doesn't need to be politicized in the way it's being politicized. And, and maybe now that's even something that's a, a waste of breath, right? We know the same way that the we can talk about how we shouldn't, every, after every gun control or every gun tragedy, rather, they're calling for gun control and there's an immediate, almost instantaneous politicization of all mass shootings. Now, whenever you have a prominent public figure who passes away, there's going to be a political debate, especially a politician. There'll be a political debate about you know, the good and the bad and how it all happened. Uh, but I, I just wish that there was more room for us to have an, if we're going to be forced to have a discussion, well, then let's have an honest discussion. Let's not have this us against them mentality with you're either, you either revere everything involving John McCain, his entire life, his entire body of work, everything was amazing, or else you don't have due respect for the military, or else you are, you know, trampling on the grave of an American hero or whatever it may be. That's not the way that this discussion should go. It's not the, it's not a paradigm that I agree with. And 
And I, I think that Senator McCain, especially in the in the last decade or so on a policy side, has been really problematic. And I don't know why that's I'm not I'm not defaming the man. I'm not I'm not saying anything about his service or anything else that's not um, laudatory. But can't we separate those things? Why do we? I, I have this weird feeling for me today. Anyway, I know I'm going to tell me if you guys know what I'm what I'm saying here. If you agree with me, if you disagree with me, I'm really curious. I know we have a huge active and former military contingent that listens to this show. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. If, if you think that my approach to this makes sense or you want to change it one way or another, I really do want to hear from you because this is something strange going on in, in the uh, national conversation about this issue and uh, it makes me uncomfortable. We will talk about the uh, that shooting that occurred over the weekend. Uh, we've also got a lot of Trump on the economy and just just a, a packed show as always, team. So stay with me. I can't help but think that like part of the reason why there's such reverence for him today is because of who's in the White House right now, because they're polar opposites. There you go. There's Jake Tapper making very clear what I was saying before, that that the extra reverence for McCain is because of the awfulness of Trump. That's what he's saying. By the way, he's an objective journalist, folks. Objective. Not 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 bringing you commentary. Just the facts. Mr. Truth. Sure. That's a that's a fun fraud to run around with all the time. Uh, but that's what you're getting here. People are are using people are saying that the president is paying insufficient uh, homage to McCain. But those same people are immediately politicizing a man uh, passing passing away and and weaponizing that. Right. So it's just pe- people are acting in a gross fashion on, on a lot of different sides of this issue. And I think that that's. You know, that, that's my that's my take on the least. And look, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that there are a few big issues where, you know, the not only are you seeing a lot of Republicans now who are perfectly willing to trash uh, McCain in the past come out and say that that's completely unthinkable. I mean, there's also the whole, well, what about the man's policies? Like, are, are we allowed to look at what he presented in the final years he was in the Senate? Is that no? Is, is that off limits? Well, then. I got to understand what these new rules are. 844-900-2825. Tell me what you think. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Got some vets on the line here who want to talk about the... uh, the legacy of John McCain and the way that we are all really being told we have to talk about it. You know, just just by way of comparison, when we have so much focus on on one individual service, I, I do think that we lose sight of the fact that and I know it was exemplary service and it was it was exceptional even uh, for those who are in terms of what he had to endure and all the rest of it for those who are in frontline combat. Um, but I, you know, I, I know a lot of people who went through terrible stuff in Iraq, Afghanistan, have come back now, are still carrying those wounds. Does everybody have to speak kindly about them and everything that they do and every every public policy initiative, every company decision? You know, are, are they beyond reproach, beyond that? I know the vets that I know from Iraq and Afghanistan, the ones that I know personally, they, including those who were very seriously uh, wounded, lost limbs, 
I, I don't think they would claim that they have a, a right to to a a, a near coerced reverence. It feels a little strange to me. Uh, let's hear what uh, Noel in Seattle has to say. Noel, you're a vet. Thanks for calling in. Hey, what's going on, Mark? Yeah, I, I have reverence for, you know, of, of a certain respect, you know, for his you know, time as a POW and everything. I mean, his war record was, yeah, it was lackluster being the son of an admiral. You know, he didn't really get a lot of the tough gigs. But as a politician, he has nothing to be proud of that I can think of. I mean, he is reaching across the aisle for, with Teddy Kennedy to stab everybody in the back with his amnesty plan. Uh, I'm not seeing, the you know, anything to brag about there. Yeah, I mean, this, but see, this is my point, right? No, so... So why why is it that when I want to talk about this guy's political remember I've already separated out you know the family he passed he was somebody's dad somebody's granddad I mean you know that's actually I guess I don't know if you guys did he have grandchildren I can't remember um, but you know putting aside the family and the human component of this for a moment which I I think we we should be allowed to do if we're going to talk about someone's national legacy and everything else can we also separate out the military service and the the universal respect that that demands versus everything you know what what i'm seeing is if you say you know john mccain took some really really bad positions uh, as a senator especially later on in life you're you're a bad person for saying that now and, and i don't i don't understand why that should be the case right you know it's one thing if you want to say well we shouldn't talk about that but people are but, but we are talking about it or and, and so what ha- what happens is the left is using mccain as a weapon against trump that's what this really comes down that's what the real basis of all this is right that's why you're getting oh oh my gosh the you know the like the, the jake tappers the world oh john mccain is you know and, and tapper's one of these guys who's always making a big profession of how much he cares about what's going on with with uh, the, the military and, and vets uh in in a way that i'd have to say is brand enhancing for him um but you know i i just think that uh you know with this we can either talk about it or not you know, but don't don't tell me that we have to talk about this in a certain way because of something that's unrelated, Noel. Yeah. Well, anyway, man, look, man, I appreciate I appreciate you calling in Shields High. Keith in Mississippi, also a vet, wants to talk about McCain's legacy. How you doing, Keith? Doing good, man. How's it going? I'm good. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I just uh like ninety percent of our politicians, he he forgot where he come from. Yeah, he is a hero for his service. But he started concentrating more on the money. He forgot he worked for the people and started working for himself. And that, in my opinion, is a problem today. And, and no, he, he's not the person that they're making him out to be now, in my opinion. You know, yeah, I, I, I just agree that. And for, it, you know, it, for example, I, I guess it's because, look, he, he went what he went through is is. You know, it's it's unthinkable for most of us to, to suffer that much and, and to go through that much with the, and the amount of dignity that he did. But military service, even at, at very you know elite levels for other politicians, doesn't exempt them. For, nobody would think it exempts them from from criticism. Remember, I, I'm not sitting here saying that we should criticize necessarily John McCain, the man after, right after he's passed. That feels uh, that feels wrong and disrespectful. But if we're going to talk about his political record, you know, what, what I'm what I'm sensing, Keith, is people say, don't you think John McCain's service his country was amazing? And I say, yeah. And, said, and, and wasn't he a fantastic senator? I said, well, n- no. Do, well, why do I have to go along with that? I mean, it's one has nothing to do with the other. Well, um, forget his service in this country continued outside the military 
when he became a politician. And all of his service to this country was not good. And and to me, when he did the showboat and thumbs down, he just shot his whole record out the window. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, this is this is a guy who, uh, for, for a long time, we've, you know, I've also kind of, re- and look, thanks for, thanks for calling in, Keith, and thank you for your service, by the way, and same thing to Noel, who called in before. You know, for, for a long time, it feels like whenever, you know, the, the left has been playing this game with John McCain. This is what's been going on, folks. Where, you know, by the way, if you remember when he ran with Sarah Palin as his running mate, they trashed McCain. I mean, there was no, all this reverend stuff was out the window. They trashed McCain. I had no no problem with that. And, you know, they're raising questions about his possible senility. And there was a lot of stuff that they were willing to throw at John McCain at that point in time. But the reason that they've always liked him is that, and the Democrats have always had real use for him, is that he was a guy who would, at at key moments, take a position that would get him what would be very favorable national-level media coverage on an issue, and in ways that were really damaging to the cause of conservatism and the Republican Party. And so they loved it because not only would he do that, you know, he, McCain was almost like the Kennedy swing vote in the Senate for the Democrats for a long time, right? Not only would he do that, but then when people sort of say, wow, John McCain, I mean, I'm not sure that this is a guy who, you know, is really keeping his word on this policy issue or look what happened with Obamacare or any any number of things, then it's, oh, I'm sorry, are you disrespecting his war record? This this And they love to do this. And they particularly like it in the context of, of Trump because, look, I, I, I did not support and did not like Trump's comment about, you know, I, I like people who... Uh, did not get captured. I can't support that. Don't like that. I wish Trump hadn't hadn't said it. But John McCain clearly had it had it out for Trump, and they were two very, you know, prominent political figures who just maybe personally rub each other the wrong way on top of on a policy level. Uh, but you know, with Mc- McCain's time in the Senate, I, I did sense that there was a fair amount of of uh, policy showboating. And I, I just wish that we were allowed to speak about that without this strange, um, you know, without the strange baggage that's all attached to it right away. Of what do you what do you mean you're you're disrespecting Senator McCain's service to his country? I'm not disrespect. No one's disrespecting anything about his service. I'm not even talking about his service. I'm talking about what he did as a senator. In the same way that I feel when, when people were talking about Teddy Kennedy, the Lion of the Senate, you know, to Democrats, he was very important. He was. Uh, and, and I know on a personal level, it's I'm not putting those two men in the same universe in terms of their honor and their service to the country. But, you know, Teddy Kennedy passed away. I wasn't saying hor- horrible things about him. And, and I was trying to be respectful of the fact that, you know, there's something to be said for when someone passes. You know, the national conversation should reflect that that person's family should be allowed to grieve with dignity and peace. And it's you know that there's a human being who's been lost here and that, you know, he had family that love him and, you know, all that. But I mean, I think Teddy Kennedy's record in the Senate was terrible, terrible. I think he did terrible things for the you know, to the country, and I think that he also is the reason that you know Teddy Kennedy is the reason that a, a young woman drowned in the back of a car. So, you know, am I supposed to because he just died? I'm supposed to say, well, Teddy Kennedy was the lion of the Senate and he was great. You know, next week I'll criticize him. I I, I don't like that dishonesty, and and they've been playing this game using using McCain when it's convenient. The Democrats have bashed conservatives and Republicans, and they always fall back on, see, they don't even respect their own when it comes to military service. And that's really not, that's really not what's 
you know, that, that's not an issue, but they try to make that the issue. It's it's cheap. It's underhanded and it's uh, and it's very bothersome. I really don't like it, uh, especially from people that I know are quick to criticize the military in general uh, who really, you know, hold a lot of Democrats, especially elite media Democrats, hold the position and they won't say it openly. They know they don't talk about this at at cocktail parties. Uh, wherever they are, because we're not supposed to say cocktail parties in Georgetown anymore. That's too hackneyed. Uh, but wherever they're having cocktail parties, they won't tell you that a lot of elite journalists feel like the military is a place where people go who you know don't have all the options that they had. There's a lot of that among among members of the press corps. I can I've heard them. I can tell you this. It's true. Uh, you know, even with me, some of them are like, what do you mean you went into the government, right? Why would you go into the government? And they're not asking me like just out of curiosity. They're asking me, you know, why, why wouldn't you just go work at CBS News right away? You know, where the real people are doing the real things. There's a lot of the elitism that they feel toward the rest of the country, folks. Don't think that the elite media doesn't have some of that when it comes to uh, the military as well. You know, and, and you go back to the Bush years and all of a sudden there's all this. Oh, you know, we, we, we support the troops. We just hope they fail in their mission and U.S. casualties reach a rate where the Bush administration has no choice but to abandon. You know, th- that was a big chunk of the media. That was their position. Oh, yeah, we support the troops. We just hope that they lose. That's and, and that was a very real thing. And those I mean, I was working on the CIA's Iraq desk when that was going on, and I was quite aware of it. You, know, you don't get Republicans rooting against troops for political reasons. It just doesn't happen. At least not in the same way, the same frequency, the same uh, same depth. Um, by the way, Jonathan Carl was that he's ABC, CB. I can't keep all this stuff straight. Jonathan Carl, he he was in the Oval Office today, and, and this is you know so he, here's a a White House correspondent who has access to the President of the United States, and this is uh, how he's going to make his mark today. Play the play the clip. Any thoughts on John McCain, sir? Right this way. Mr. President, any thoughts on the legacy of John McCain? President, do you have any thoughts on John McCain? Do you have any thoughts at all about John McCain? Do do, do you believe John McCain was a hero, sir? Nothing at all about John McCain. Mr. President, the American Legion has asked you to lower the flags to half-staff. Any reaction to the American Legion? Any any action to the American Legion asking you to put a proclamation about John McCain? Why, why won't you say anything about John McCain? I think he, I think he got his. I think he asked the question enough times there, folks. What do you think, Mr. President? Mr. President, John McCain. Why would you, John McCain? I mean, you know, I, look, I know, I understand how the game is played. I know what journalists are trying to do here, but I do want to point out that no matter what President Trump said there about about McCain, uh, no matter what he said, it would be used against him. If he said right then and there, John McCain, you know, was a a military hero who gave his best to the country and and had, you know, we had our differences, but I, I respected him deeply as a man. They would say President Trump, you know, seizing on the moment, flips his previous attitude about John McCain, a bad another lie from Trump saying it just for the camera. You know, they they would find a way to attack him on that. That's why he put out a statement, a statement in support of McCain. And yes, they lowered the flag at the White House. The flags were lowered elsewhere. Uh, but that's why this whole thing about let's let's try to get the president on the record with this. To me, there's there's really no point other than this is yet another way that they will find, you know, if they were doing their jobs, if the press really believed that their job was to 
get information to present you with fact, well, then you could say, all right, maybe they'll the statement from the president will be just reported. But they would they would put the statement in the context of see this bad thing that Trump did or said he did or said that bad thing. Doesn't matter what the actual statement was or is or would be. Uh, and I think he knows that at this point. Uh, but, you know, this is this is the game that they're playing, folks. Nothing is sacred to Democrats other than power. And so just be prepared for that in the meantime. Uh, that's going to continue on. Uh, we have much more coming up. I'm going to talk to you about this shooting, which also ties into some social media policies. I'll, I'll get into some of this uh, in just a few minutes. Stay with me. The threat of impeachment actually will motivate yes. this base. Well, let me just say this. You know, I've been talking about impeachment for a long time. Impeachable. Watergate. Impeachment needs to be a bipartisan thing. Talking about impeachment as they campaign for office uh, ahead of the midterm elections. It's a reluctance to talk about the I word directly. Look at this as an impeachable offense. Impeachable. Watergate. I'm just not sure what else Democrats have that's going to motivate them to show up at the polls more ardently than the prospect of doing something about Donald Trump. Watergate. And the best thing we can do is promise the American people, if we are given the majority, that we will conduct the investigations the Republicans are unwilling to conduct, including this campaign finance violation, including the questions around his contacts with the Russians, and including his tax returns, which the American people have not seen, but I promise a Democratic majority will ensure that they do see. That's right. They're going to give you his tax returns, they say, folks. That was Representative Swalwell, one of the uh, smarmiest of the Democrats. Uh, this is important, folks. Think about what the Democrats have managed in terms of slowing down Trump and all of the the dirty tricks that they've they've pulled with the deep state and from inside of of different wings of government. Uh, the federal bureaucracy mobilizing to avenge Hillary's loss. Think about what they've accomplished in that regard. Up until now. And now think about what they'll do if they actually have a majority in the House. We will be in the midst of subpoena after subpoena. They will be bringing with they'll bring Ivanka down to Capitol. They'll bring Jared down. They'll put them on the on the dais. They'll put them on the witness chair and tell them that, you know, that let's talk about this. Let's more about this. Let's discuss that. In a Russia collusion fantasy. They Maggie uh, Habern from the New York Times tweeted this out earlier today. Remember, she's one of the primary New York Times journalists covering the Trump administration. She wrote, it's not just impeachment on the agenda. A Dem-controlled Congress will mean an array of subpoenas for Trump, his family, and on topics including the firing of Preet Bharara and other U.S. attorneys. Folks, they're going to they're going to just like Gulliver with the Lilliputians, they are going to tie Trump down with a thousand little BS lawsuits. They are going to use every every tool at their disposal uh, to in, in completely bad faith and abusing the avenues that they have. They will just try to make life miserable for Trump. I mean, they're, they're not going to win on this collusion stuff, right? There is no collusion. We know this. We'll talk more about this in the next hour. But the process is the punishment. Look at what they've already managed with the Mueller probe. Think about what they're going to do when if Democrats have a majority in the House. Think about the investigations that they're going to 
start and the leaks of, you know, damaging information about anybody. And it doesn't have to be Trump. Anybody who's considered a Trump ally. They're just going to try to just try to bury them all in bureaucratic crap. That's why this election is so important. That's what's at stake here. The entire Trump presidency is really at stake, folks. We've got more coming up. Stay with me. If you've ever found yourself wincing at the weak taste of coffee from one of those left-leaning commie coffee brands, you probably thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training, bathroom reform policies, and other things that defy common sense, and more time on their coffee. That's why you need Black Rifle. Folks, I'm all about Black Rifle coffee. I drink it every single day. I have converted many of my colleagues at the Hill to being Black Rifle coffee drinkers. K-Cup, I'll take it in ground beans. I'll take whole beans even. That's how good their coffee is. I'm lazy, but I'm still willing to grind up my own Black Rifle beans because that's how delicious the brew will be. I'm also big into making cold brew myself with Black Rifle. Check it out for yourself. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll receive 15% off your order. It's a great deal, folks. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off your order blackriflecoffee.com slash buck check it out don't drink that commie coffee drink the good stuff with a bunch of patriots at black rifle buck sexton permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence make no mistake america great you're a great american again this is the buck sexton show activate former cia analyst former member of the nypd buck sexton it is buck sexton now The biggest crime you can commit in America today is to have been associated with Donald Trump. (laughs) If you're associated with Donald Trump, they're going to Manafort you, they're going to Cohen you, they're going to do all of these things to you, and they're going to look hard, and they're going to search, and they're going to stretch. I think the only people who are going to run for office now are going to be independently wealthy people who don't have to rely on their businesses, or people who come from backgrounds where there is no vulnerability at all, but businessmen Mm -hmm. are going to be deterred from running for office because they know it's going to result in a kind of legal colonoscopy (laughs) of everything (laughs) they've done from the day they started out in business. And they're going to go beyond the statute of limitations. It's the Al Capone approach. If we can't get them on the grounds that we'd really like to get them on, let's go after them on taxes. Let's go after them on business. It's targeting people. And if they can target President Trump, They can target you. They can target anyone. This is what the libs refuse to talk about. This is what they pretend we don't all know and is one of the reasons why they they cannot be taken seriously when they talk about how they they really just want to get to the truth about Russian interference or this, that, or the other thing. They are setting a, a precedent with what they're doing to Trump. And the precedent is, if you are in any way an enemy of the, not just the resistance, but really the Democratic Party now, they are going to find a way to ruin your life, even if you're completely innocent. Remember, when, when people say things like, they'll go after you on your on taxes, and when they say things like, they're going to investigate your business, Only somebody who doesn't understand how government processes works would respond, well, you know, if you paid your taxes, you have nothing to worry about. Wrong. That is false. Because you have to prove that you've paid your taxes, and taxes, as we all know, 
can actually be, uh, there can be a lot of gray area and it's incredibly complicated and they don't always, you'll get different, uh, different adjudications of, of the uh, tax code from different enforcers of it. But the point is that just making you go through all that, the discomfort, the expense, the anxiety, the fear, that has a deterrent effect. So they can't beat Trump on policy. They can't put up a politician who can uh, win in a messaging battle. So what they're doing instead is just they're systematically ruining the lives of all people around Trump that they can. And, you know, you can say what you will about where the Republicans have their own shortcomings, everything else. We don't do this to the left. All right. This is not a both sides thing. This is not a both houses, you know, should have a pox on them, so to speak. It's kind of a butchered Shakespeare quote, but Romeo and Juliet. Uh, But that's very important for you to keep in mind. We don't do this. There's no effort to not just chase Valerie Jarrett out of a restaurant or chase David Axelrod out of a restaurant that they're in now or while they were Obama's chief advisors. They go on to great things in their careers. There's there's no company that's a that's a sort of standard American you know, major corporation where working for Obama or working for any Democrat, for that matter, is going to prevent you from empl- being employed there. For Trump, yeah, it is. You are considered toxic now. They are making people who work for this president personally radioactive in ways that this is going to have big ramifications for a long time. You know, this is why uh, this is why in the foreign policy sphere, as I've said to you, the reason you have people like Carter Page, no offense to Carter, he's a nice guy, but Carter Page and George Papadopoulos posing as Trump's foreign policy advisors is if you had any real foreign policy experience and you believed in Trump's message and you were willing to put your name, you know, on the list of advisors for Trump and Trump didn't win, your career is shot, basically. You're done. Never going to be the same for you. So they drove away a lot of expertise that I think would have flocked to Trump if they had been just allowed to act like normal people do when in American political culture, right? If that was acceptable, then you would have had a very different uh, group of folks. But but this is this is what they're doing to Trump now. There, and that's why it's so important. I played for you before Swalwell saying, you know, we're going to release his tax returns, and and you got Haberman saying they're going to subpoena his family members. They are mark my words. If the if the um, if the Democrats take the House, they will they will march. Ivanka and Jared and Lara. I don't even think they're above putting Melania on the stand. I mean, they will really have show trials on Capitol Hill. That's what's coming. And why wouldn't that be what they do? Give Think about their mentality here, folks. They, they have no shame about saying that Trump is a fascist and he's a Nazi and all that. I mean, and they really believe it, I think, which is even scarier. I thought for a long time it was just cynicism. I thought this was just the way that, you know, they were trying to get the base all fired up. But no, no, I think a lot of them really believe this craziness. And so given that they believe it, I I do think that they are going to be willing to engage in the nastiest, the uh, nastiest behaviors you can think of once they finally have the uh, political power to do so.
And that means, by the way, folks, when you really think about this, you know, state attorneys, general, uh, any AUSA anywhere in the country, you know, any district attorney, if you live in that part of the country, that's a Democrat, feels like he or she can score points against Trump by going after you if you've been a prominent Trump supporter and just just put you through that process. Remember, the, the, the power to investigate in many ways is the power to destroy. They, they don't have to prove you guilty of anything. They just have to make you the focus. They have to turn the eye of Sauron and have it shine on you. All of a sudden, your business dries up. People don't want to associate with you. You have to spend a tremendous amount in legal costs. Hurts your business. You can't invest in it now. Right now, now you, as I said, you become radioactive. It's classic Alinsky. Find the target, freeze the target, isolate it, destroy it. That's Alinsky. They are doing this and they're using the legal system to do this. And people are worried about, you know, Trump's rhetoric or he's fighting back too hard on Twitter. I sit here, I'm like, guys, they're going all in. They are. They have not changed one iota in their approach because of the successful economy, because Trump is really in many ways governing, uh, governing as a moderate. He's governing as a moderate Republican. You say what you will about his, the, the way that he talks and everything else. But, yeah, we got a tax cut, roll back some regulation. I, I mean, where's the hard right stuff? You know, we haven't defunded Planned Parenthood yet, by the way, last week I. The Republican phonies that that won't defund Planned Parenthood. You, if you are in elected office, and you say you are pro life, and you have an opportunity to cast a vote that will defund Planned Parenthood, and you don't, you're a liar. You're just a liar. Everybody should know that. We should all be on the same page at least about what that means. But you know, the, so the, the Dersh's point here about the investigations that are coming and all the things that they're going to do to Trump if they get the House, they're going to do a lot anyway. I don't, I don't think the Mueller probe is going anywhere anytime soon. I think it's going to drag on and on and on. Um, but also notice how they they are changing because they're not going to get to where they where they said they were. They're not going to get to co- uh, collusion. Now it's just going to be, well, we haven't found what we need to find yet. What are you trying to find? We don't know. We just know Trump is bad. That's all that they, that's, that's it. There's really not much of any specifics beyond it. Play clip 10. Do they have more than just Michael Cohen's word? Do they have physical evidence? He's not above the law, but I think that we don't have enough evidence yet. No evidence of that that we have seen. We should be talking about it and embracing it before we have seen the full body of evidence. Does the SDNY have physical evidence in their hands? Do they have other physical evidence? The physical evidence of the of the money transfers? Does he have evidence? Is it more taped conversations? Is that the evidence? Well, the prosecutors may have evidence they haven't revealed. We don't know what Bob Mueller has. Protect Robert Mueller. Let's get all of the evidence. Have you seen any evidence that this dirt, these emails, were ever given to the Trump campaign? Not so far. Not so far. Ever seen, have you seen any communications uh, that suggested that the Trump campaign wanted them to release them through a different means? Because obviously they were ultimately released by WikiLeaks. No, I have not. Okay. No evidence, folks. Yet. That's what, oh, okay. So this is the game that we play now. No, no evidence yet. When does no evidence actually just become no evidence? When, you know, they're, they're forcing the pro-Trump side in this whole crazy, you know, 
maniacal Russia collusion fairy tale. They're forcing the pro-Trump side to prove a negative. It can't be proven. We say to them, you have no evidence of this. And they say to us, we don't have it yet. We're going to get it. And we say, well, you know, there's a presidency that's at stake here in the middle. Maybe there should be some time limit enforced here. Maybe there should be some parameters beyond, I would like to investigate that person because Trump. And they say no. Because they're they're operating from the position of they've already established the conclusion. The conclusion is Trump is guilty. What is he guilty of? He's guilty of being somebody that they hate. That's it. The damage, I mean, the the great irony here is that the damage that is being done to what in many ways is the most important American governmental institution, which is our, our respect for and the concept of the rule of law. It's one of the things that separates us from so many other countries. It's what makes us different. The damage the Democrats are doing to that as a concept you know, and as a reality is incalculable. They're weaponizing our legal code and they're weaponizing prosecutors' offices against the president of the United States in ways that are so obvious, so transparently biased and partisan that we won't be able to, nobody who's paying attention will be able to think of those offices and of those uh, those powers in the same way. This is going to be a legacy of the, of the hashtag resistance uh, that they have not just politicized but deeply polluted the criminal justice system to be a tool of a straight up tool of uh, partisan manipulation. And they've done it in many ways. And, and they complain about, oh, my gosh, what if Trump pardons people? Well, at least if he pardons people, that's within his constitutionally, uh, constitutionally enumerated powers. The stuff that they're doing they're just making it up as they go along. Yeah, it's it's really astonishing. Um, one more thing here from the Dersh. Um, play. Clip eight. He has constitutional defenses to the investigation being conducted by Mueller, but there are no constitutional defenses to what the Southern District is investigating. So I think the Southern District is the is the is the greatest threat. That's right. What they're saying is, you know, Cohen, they're they're trying to find a jurisdiction and an, an approach against the president that will take him down. They're essentially shopping for a favorable venue for the legal destruction of the Trump administration. That's what Mueller has been doing. That's the the purpose of all of this. And as Dershowitz said in the very beginning, if they can do it to Trump folks, they can do it to any of us. And as I am fond of saying, one of the very important uh, maxims from the Freedom Hut here and has been for all the many years now we've been doing the show is that they do not have to burn down every village to make their point. They really only have to burn down one, and the rest will fall in line. If they are able to do this to Trump, what does it mean for the next person who wants to come along to challenge the establishment? You can either be a part of the establishment and be celebrated, get a lot of money, people say nice things about you, you're popular and everything else, or you can challenge the establishment like Trump has and feel the full fury and and honestly the full collective psychosis of the american left leveled against you for a lot of people even very you know stalwart patriots people of tremendous courage honor and and uh, integrity they look at this and they say you know i got a family to raise or i've got i've got obligations i don't want to be a part of this i see what they're doing to trump and those around him and i just i can't sign up for that 
So in a sense, folks, even when the Democrats lose, they win. 844-900-2825. If you want to check, give me a ring. We have much more show. I will talk to you about this this shooting that occurred at the gaming tournament. We'll get into that. Uh, Also, an update on uh, where Trump is with the economy, and then we'll talk Bro Cuomo. By the way, in the uh, third hour of the show today, we're going to have Matt Walsh, the Phenomenal writer, my old colleague at the at the Blaze, Matt's Matt's columns are uh, he's one of the very few people, and I'll tell you this, and and he's he's a peer, so I don't say this lightly. One of the very few people who I will really make an effort to find his columns to read them. You know, it's not just if it pops up in front of me, I'll actually go track down a Matt Walsh column to read it. Uh, there's probably a half a dozen people in the game today who I feel that way about. Matt will be joining on the uh, the crisis of the Catholic Church and its hierarchy right now and the, the sex abuse scandal. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on that. That'll be coming up in the third hour. So uh, much more coming your way, team. Stay with me. Speed and efficiency are critical when it comes to getting everything ready to go when you've got a new hire. Folks, it's a very tight employment market out there. So when you get a good candidate, when you're bringing somebody and you want to make sure that it moves quickly and you're not wasting any slots on somebody that has a red flag in their background that may have been missed somehow, right? Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran owned business and they're headquartered in Chicago. So unlike a lot of the other guys, they're not sending your work overseas. They're not letting the servers in some country that you've never even heard of. Uh, store your sensitive data. They treat every case as critical and they make sure they are available to you for any questions you have about the background investigation process for your employees. Go to mygvn.com. Again, mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179 and tell them Buck Sexton sent you to Global Verification. It's a big day for trade, big day for our country. A lot of people thought we'd never get here. Because we all negotiate tough. We do, so does Mexico. And uh, this is a tremendous thing. This has to do, they used to call it NAFTA, we're going to call it the United States-Mexico Trade Agreement. And we'll get rid of the name NAFTA. has a bad connotation because the United States was hurt very badly by NAFTA. For many years, and now it's a really good deal for both countries, uh, and we look very much forward to it. So we get a U.S.-Mexico trade agreement that looks like it's going to happen. I know there has to be a congressional action on it, but it looks like it's going to go through. You've got stock market crushing it today. Fantastic uh, stuff in the stock market. You've got uh, all these people that were saying that the trade war was going to tank them. The market's not budging, folks. You know, it, it's really important when you're going to talk about sentiment and, and what's true and what's not. Look what people are doing with their money. It's easy to posture and pose on political issues when you don't have anything at stake. But look at the money. Look at what's going on there. It doesn't seem like all these people that are so, oh, they're so worried. Everyone's so worried about Trump and the economy and this trade war. He's going to he's going to tank the global economy. That's what they've been saying. Meanwhile, the opposite has been true so far. From what we see. Trump has been an excellent steward of the economy. And this is the part that hurts so much for Democrats. Better on the economy than Obama was. And that's that's what they really just can't come to grips with. That President Trump is somebody with greater financial and economic acumen, uh, greater skill set 
than the previous president that they told us was a genius, that really stings the liberal press. That really makes the media question, well, they don't question anything about themselves, but it just makes them angry. That's for sure. By the way, Canada in on this action, too. Trump is saying, all right, Canada, let's see what you got. Play 18. Canada will start negotiations uh, shortly. I'll be uh, calling the prime minister very soon. And we'll start negotiation. And if they'd like to negotiate fairly, we'll uh, we'll do that. You know, they have the tariffs of almost 300 percent on some of our dairy products. So we can't have that. We're not going to stand for that. Uh, I think with Canada, frankly, the easiest thing we can do is to tariff their cars coming in. It's a tremendous amount of money and it's a very simple negotiation. It could end in one day and uh, we take in a lot of money the following day. But I think we'll give them a chance to uh, probably have a separate deal. We could have a separate deal or we could put it into this deal. Can you imagine, folks, if Trump actually gets his way with the Canada deal, too, and then the market moves up based on that news? I mean, at what point do the, the enemies of Trump have to admit that he's winning and they hate that and they hate that America's winning and they really just want to see things go badly? We're getting pretty close to that point right now. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. John in West Virginia, you've been patiently waiting, sir. Good to have you on. Hey, Buck, how you doing, man? Shields out. Shields out. Yeah. Thank you for calling. I'm from, like, I'm from West Virginia. I've seen steel jobs go out the window, 10,000 people leave this area. And now I'm seeing these jobs come back. I'm seeing all kind of, like what you said was, everything you said was right, man. The stock market's booming, trade deals he's doing. I mean, what American doesn't see this as any good? I mean, they they got to be crazy. Now, if we if we win the House, I'd like to see Trump fire Sessions and put Hillary in jail, Comey in jail, tur- flip, the, flip the tables on these people. I mean, one of the Republicans to stand up and do something about all this. There's no way I want my country to be socialist, a socialistic country. I don't want that. I mean, some Americans got to be ready to stand up and, and take control of this country because it's going way to the wayside here, man. This ain't this ain't my America. I think what these Democrats are scared of is you've seen a man come into office in a year and a half, almost two years, and do more than any president has done in four years. He has thrown all kind of things out there, and everything's kind of stuck. Any other politician that comes in to be president, they're going to have to do stuff, man. They're going to—they can't sit back for four years and talk about it like Obama did, just talk, 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 and no action. I mean, these Democrats, some Democrats have to see what's going on here. Well, let me say that you know, you, you, one point that you you hit on, John, is that you know we are always on the right, you know, conservatives, Republicans. We always hold back a little bit because we don't want to be who they are, meaning, you know, how and we don't want to do what the other side does. But it's it's very clear at this point that that they have made a decision that the ideology of the left now has embraced the usage of uh, law enforcement and prosecutorial powers to destroy their political enemies. And, you know, it's funny because they talk about Trump as a fascist, but but the real police state stuff is all coming from the left now. And you raise, you know, maybe we go on offense and go after them. I think that, 
you know, that there's a case to be made that if you don't start making an example or two of a Democrat who breaks the law and, and shows that this game goes both ways, maybe we just keep getting punched in the face and saying, hey, stop doing that. You know, don't don't keep hitting me in the face. Well, if someone keeps hitting you even after you say stop, that's not right. Saying stop isn't going to cut it. And this is how people feel about the debate over, uh, you know, shaming people into being fired for previous statements from their jobs. As conservatives, we don't like that. That's petty. It's childish. You know, you shouldn't do it. But what we see is that, well, the left keeps doing it to us. They don't care. They, they view this as, as open territory. This is a weapon that they're allowed to use. If we don't use it back against them, nothing ever changes. Yeah, they're digging up everything. I mean, they're going way deep. They don't care who they hurt, wives, families, kids, anything. I mean, like, look what they did to Barron Trump. I mean, some of the things they said about him. Yeah, it's appalling. And look, these these people these these people have no they have no outer limits, John. They're they're willing to, you know, say and do anything right now because they've convinced themselves that the country's at stake. Meanwhile, you and I are sitting here like the country's doing great. What is their problem? Anyway, Shield Todd, John, thank you for calling in. This is but this is where the real disconnect is, folks. They keep saying the country's at stake, and I'm like, at stake or or at risk. And I want to say at risk of succeeding? What's what's the big threat here? What's the big problem? All right, so I, I I did want to spend a little bit of our time on this shooting over the weekend. Um, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of time and analysis needs to be put into this, but you know, it's look, it's a it's a tragedy. You have uh, two people killed. Um, I think eleven were yeah, eleven people injured, two killed, and this guy Katz, David Katz, uh, came into a video gaming tournament, a professional video gaming tournament, and shot some of his competitors and killed two of them. Uh, he passed people that were in the way to go specifically after the, his competitors. And, you know, now we're finding out that, you know, Katz had a, a history of mental illness. And, you know, we can talk about that component. But but first, this immediately, and I saw this, and you know, I was out in the, on the West Coast for the weekend. I was trying to, you know, spend some time with the girlfriend, see some sites, and stay off of Twitter as much as possible and stay out of the news cycle, and stay away from the news cycle as much as possible. But I see immediately all the really nasty anti-gun stuff and, you know, all talking about the gun-free zones and how we need to do this and that. And it's just, it's the same debate every time. I mean, these people that that start saying the NRA is a terrorist organization, it doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter what the specifics of the case may be, how it happened, whatever happened. Uh, if it involves innocent loss of life because somebody shot people with a gun, the NRA is the bad guy. People that defend the NRA are the bad guys. And the left feels very comfortable just, one, saying factually incorrect things about guns and gun control on this every time. They, they do it every time. And two, they really are, are willing to dehumanize the political opposition in this. I mean, they they believe, and you know, David Hogg, for example, who's a spokesperson for this mentality, is that if, if you defend the Second Amendment, if you defend lawful gun ownership in this country— uh, you don't care about dead children. You don't care in this case about dead people at a professional video gaming con- uh, video gaming uh, event, and it's just it's completely unfair, right? It's it's not founded in anything. It's just a a petty, mean spirited, uh, ignorant approach to the issue. But that's it's really prominent on the left. This is how they approach it. This is what you get from them. Um, even though both of these handguns were purchased legally in Maryland, Maryland's a state that has pretty tough laws when it comes to uh, handguns in particular, but guns in general. And he brought them 
uh, down to Florida, and he shot people with these with these two guns that he managed to get down to uh, get down to Florida. Well, you know, what is the the only way that you could say maybe there's a policy change here that would have stopped any of this would be to say. Was he institutionalized or was he hospitalized for mental health reasons in a way where he was a, it was clear he was a threat or a danger? Uh, from what I'm reading right now, that's not it is it is the case that he had mental health treatment, but it's not I don't think he was ever adjudicated for being a threat or uh, was involuntarily uh, committed. And this is where you get into, well, OK, what a, a small, small, small percentage of people with mental health issues. I mean, a tiny fraction of people with mental health issues are actually a danger to the public or a danger to anyone. Um, how do we, from a, a government and procedure standpoint, how do we separate out somebody who is just getting help, which is what we want? We want people with mental health issues to get help, to get treated so they can be productive and happy and, uh, you know, fully engaged members of society. But we also need to have some kind of red lines in place or some process to determine when someone's a threat, because that's also that is also real. Right. I mean, clearly, you know, the uh, the shooter at the movie theater in, in Aurora, Colorado, that guy was a threat. Right. His mental health practitioner should have known that should have raised some red flags. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cases that you can look at where you can say clearly somebody's a. Uh, an issue and should not be able to buy firearms. But how do you codify that? How do you write out the laws in such a way that you're not penalizing people for their Second Amendment rights, but you're taking into account that they can be they can be a problem, they can be a threat? And and then and there's this other part of this. And, and I know that this is a little bit of a pivot, but I, I think this is important. Uh, so I used to work with Dana Lash at the Blaze. Uh, I've uh, always liked and respected Dana, and. She doesn't need me to back her up or need my help, right? Dana, Dana, and, and Chris, her husband, and, and all their supporters. I mean, they they can handle their own, you know, they can handle their own stuff. Um, you know, they're both very strong and very uh, strong in their convictions as well. But the stuff that she is subjected to after these shootings is is just appalling. Uh, she's an NRA spokesperson, and you have people that are saying things like. You know, unless and I saw this again, I should have pulled myself away from social media over the weekend, but I saw some of this. People are saying, oh, well, until your children are killed in a shooting, this is in public people writing this to her until your children are uh, are killed in a shooting like this, then you won't care. And and just the most horrible thing, Dana's a mom. I mean, it's just the whole thing. It's so terrible what they say to her. And, and I had a hard, I actually took a step back from this. I thought I must be misreading this somehow. There must be something I'm missing because it can't really be the case that uh, Twitter would say that Dana Lash's kids, or rather people saying that Dana Lash's kids need to be murdered does not violate Twitter's terms of service policies. And, you know, Daily Caller wrote this up and some others have written this up. And, and sure, but sure enough, I mean, I just, I thought that that can't, I mean, Twitter's a huge multi-billion dollar company. You know, it's lefty, but it can't be that great. Nope, sure enough. Sure enough. You had somebody write to Dana, if Dana Lash has to have her children murdered before she'll understand, I guess that's what needs to happen. 
Twitter's rules say you may not make specific threats of violence or wish for the serious physical harm, death, or disease of an individual or group of people. But when Chris Lash, Dana's husband, I also know Chris, reported this, Twitter ruled in favor of the person saying that uh, Dana's children sh- you know, should die in order that she understand the real consequences here of her gun control policy. Now, folks, Twitter's not run by a bunch of morons, right? I, I, that I don't believe. But it is run by a bunch of ideologues, and it is staffed by a lot of ideologues. And I, I think what we see here is quite clearly that this era we have stepped into now of the uh, partisan parsing of social media platform rules and regulations is just going to get worse and worse. And we're going to keep losing. We are going to keep losing. There, the The same phenomenon that's true on college campuses, the same phenomenon of a, a really unbridled and, and loony level progressivism that's true in the uh, news media. That's true in Hollywood and it's true on college campuses affects Silicon Valley and it affects these companies, which we have allowed to get far too much, um, you know, far too much power. And, and this this notion that they're private companies and they can't be regulated or they can't be in any way touched by the government. Isn't it fascinating how liberals all of a sudden are, are not really wanting to put on their regulatory hat so much because they know this gives them a massive advantage. This gives them the advantage of posing as what the market wants, right? So so liberal liberal speech, liberal ideas, they get this huge boost because we think of social media as a fair and neutral arbiter of what the public wants to read about, what the public wants to hear. But really, it's conferring a false legitimacy on a lot of these liberal ideas while suppressing conservative ones. And, and, and then when you add into it, how clear the bias is here. I mean, if, if you say something that is vaguely construed as racist, you're probably going to get kicked off Twitter. But if people tell you that your kids need to die uh, and you're a parent, you, you you can't expect that Twitter will take action against them if you're a prominent conservative. That's that's where we are in this whole process. And you know, I, I know that that's a, a little bit of an extension from the conversation about guns and gun control. But we've we've had the gun control conversation so many times. It doesn't go anywhere because they don't have a real policy solution. It doesn't go anywhere because they don't know what should be done other than yelling a lot about how much they hate the NRA and how the NRA is a terrorist group and all the rest of it. Um, so if I get more on this, I promise I will share. Uh, we do have Matt Walsh joining in a little bit to talk about the scandal with the Catholic Church and the Pope being implicated now. And this is really big stuff. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then also uh, maybe a little bit of a bro Cuomo break coming up here in a few minutes. What am I talking about? You'll see. Stay right there. That you lie. Said, that matters. That is a crime against the American people. Stop lying to them. After and he, he knew about the payments later he's on. Lying. He Are we a foreign inimical phone? power? No, 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 with your with your phony polling I mean, and everybody saying, saying, excuse right me, now. no, 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 that he could that he could never win. People say we didn't did. cover his lying and bad character no, enough. That's what I get criticized for. Unless you're getting fifty dollars every time you say the word, it used to be collusion. Tonight is lying. You cover that more than the booming economy. You cover that more than the loan unemployment rate. You cover that more than the consumer. He talks about this more than he talks about all of those things. You are a world-class journalist. He used to go to 
plane crash sites and cover war. I go now. Famine. I was in Helsinki and saw one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen in my no, life. We saw what you wrote about it. We saw what you wrote about yeah. it. Do, it was really like embarrassing. Take that back? Was that a big no, lie? No, not a chance. Wait, was it a was a story that CNN published on July 27th? It was embarrassing that what happened in Helsinki. That now needs to be walked back a And I'm glad that you yeah, didn't you have to experience it the way it. we you did. I'm not to. ignoring anything. <laughs> That's quite a bro Cuomo's like, yeah, it was embarrassing. Hey, I didn't like it. It was embarrassing. Why was it so embarrassing again? What what, what was the terrible calamity that uh, that occurred in, in America after that Helsinki? Oh, the answer is nothing. There was no terrible calamity. They, they acted like there was, but that was not, in fact, the case. Um, you know, I, I do think at, at CNN there's a little bit of a desperation going on because the, the narrative of collusion is, is falling apart. It has been for a long time, but they're running out of uh, out of runway for the fable. And... They're also completely uninterested, and anybody who's being an honest observer of it sees it, completely uninterested in the lack of of how there, there's any interest in the other side, right? What's going on with Strzok? What's going on with the, the rest of them? How about an investigation there? Uh, play clip four. I think that if you invite a White House guest on, the counselor, the president who spends, mm-hmm. is with the president every day, talks to him every day, was in three meetings with him just today, right. you ought to at least have basic curiosity, if not decency and integrity, to ask me what it is that we do there, what it is we're working on. CnN has had wall-to-wall coverage today about sessions. You're not covering the meeting that they had. You don't think it matters that he keeps there. disrespecting his attorney general, the attorney general undermining the White confidence House in him by the American people in his own no, department. No, no, this is very simple. The president is very clear on this through his tweets, through his statements, through his interview with Fox News, highly rated Fox News, Christopher. He said to them that he's upset, he's frustrated, rightly so. Then get rid of us, him. No, 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 no. Many of us are frustrated that we've never had an investigation on the other side. Where's the investigation of Comey and McCabe and You know, some people investigate things on the, on the basis of No, hold on. And stru- oh, you, you know? think it's not So you got your own attorney. You know, they're just delusional over there. That's right. There's, there's no merit. I mean, you're getting FBI people fired left and right at the top level. Some of them are facing possible McCabe could be facing criminal prosecution. But, yeah, no investigation needed of any of that stuff. I know, by the way, you know, the New York Times wrote this. I mean, it is the it is the uh, the newsroom equivalent of a foot massage. I mean, it is just the most favorable stuff imaginable for for Bruce Orr. Guess what happens tomorrow, folks? Bruce Orr from the DOJ, the guy that was Steele's main point of contact, the DOJ, he's testifying before Congress. Oh, are we supposed to think that a big profile, not an editorial, a profile that makes Bruce Orr's case in the pages of the New York Times the day before he testifies in Congress, that's an accident, folks? We're not all idiots, even if the New York Times likes to treat us like we are. Strikeforce Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Look, Strikeforce has become very popular in my office here in D.C. because I've got everybody knowing that if you need a little extra boost, if you need to get through your day and have a little more fuel for the fight, Strikeforce is for you. It comes in four delicious flavors, has zero sugar, zero calories, and I'm telling you, not only is this a company that has really honed a product that I think you're going to work into your daily routine, it's also all about give back. So for every packet of Strikeforce Energy you buy, when you use my discount code, B-U-C-K, they will donate a packet to service members either at home or overseas. All you have to do is go to StrikeforceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout. 
They'll donate a packet to military members for every packet you buy. Again, strikeforceenergy.com, discount code B-U-C-K. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So, team, there have been some uh, bombshell revelations about the Catholic Church in recent weeks. And, and in fact, the last 48 hours or so has seen one that goes all the way to the, the top uh, allegations that could bring in the, the credibility and, and the ethics of the Pope himself. Uh, to talk to us about this and, and all the implications, we have Matt Walsh on the line. He is a senior writer at The Daily Wire. You can read his latest at Daily Wire. Dot com. Also, the host of the Matt Walsh podcast. Matt, good to have you back. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, if you would please, Matt, can you just first tell us how we got here? So for we haven't really spent much time on this in the show. So, what what was the the initial set of revelations? You know, why is church abuse in the headlines again? Well, obviously, you can go back uh, fifteen years to when the scandals first start cropping up all, all over the all over the country, but. Then there appeared to be kind of a lull for, for a little while where it wasn't in the headlines. And then the, the scandal involving Cardinal McCarrick is one of the, uh, was one of the highest ranking Catholics in the country, in the world, really, extremely influential Cardinal. And um, there were allegations against him uh, involving the sexual abuse of, of uh, one or two kids. And once that allegation came out, then this whole flood of stories started pouring out. It was, a, it was a lot like the Weinstein situation, where there was one allegation, and then all of a sudden you, you hear about this, this so-called open secret in Hollywood, where well, everyone knew this guy was a total scumbag. So it was the same thing with McCarrick, where now there's this open secret, where apparently he is just, uh, just all kinds of sexual debauchery, much of it involving seminarians and young priests and everything. Um, really, really just gross and disgusting stuff. So that's what brought that into the news, and then you had the, um, and then you had the, right on the heels of that, the 300 priests that were implicated in the grand jury report in Pennsylvania. Um, so that, so now this is a big thing everyone's talking about, and then finally we have yesterday, um, Archbishop Vigano, who's another, was he's retired now, but he was one of the highest ranking people in the Vatican. He was a, essentially a, um, an ambassador from the Vatican to the United States. And he came out with a, with a very detailed 11-page report implicating a whole host of high-ranking people and also the Pope himself, saying that the Pope knew about Cardinal McCarrick and his abuses, yet decided to keep him on in his uh, very public and powerful position. So, I mean, it just really is a, a bombshell. And the Pope so far has chosen not to respond directly to this. Am I correct? Or, or it doesn't seem like he's... Mounted Pope Francis has not has not given much of a defense here, and there's also some talk, uh, Matt, in this in this 11 page letter that that Vigano wrote and has now gone public about what happened to Pope Benedict, who was the first pope, I believe, in in several hundred years to resign while in office. You know, what do you make of this from from an analytic side? I mean, what what do you think about the the strength of the allegations, the the credibility of the allegations made against Francis specifically, the notion that Benedict was perhaps uh, ousted or, or was uncomfortable with something going on? I mean, you know, what, what's beyond the headlines with this? 
Yeah, well, it's always been a very peculiar thing with Benedict. I mean, he's not the first pope to ever step aside, but like everyone said, the time it happened, it's it 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 very rare that a pope steps down. So anytime that happens, anytime you have two living popes, I mean, it's just in 2,000 years of church history, it's extremely, extremely rare. So there's always been speculation about that. I think that speculation is, is kind of heating up now. Or there are people who theorize that um, either the Pope saw things that he just couldn't handle and he stepped aside or he was kind of pushed out because he was trying to root out corruption. I don't know about that, but I do know that in this report from Vigano, you know, he claims that um, Benedict became aware of Cardinal McCarrick. For a while he was being, according to Vigano, for a while Benedict was being insulated from, there were people in the Vatican that were keeping this information from Benedict. Eventually he became aware of it and he imposed sanctions on McCarrick and essentially you know, sent him out into the hinterlands and said, you're not allowed to be in publicly involved in the church anymore. He sent, he sent them off to, you know, a life of penance and fasting by himself. Um, this is what Vigano claims. And then when, when he, in, under these mysterious circumstances, he's gone, retired. Now Francis comes in and he lists the sanctions on McCarrick, despite knowing everything he's been involved in and puts him back in the public life. Now, as far as the strength of the, uh, you know, of course, we don't know. I mean, I, it, it, I can't say that this is 100% confirmed or anything. But these are very credible allegations from a very credible witness. This is not some crackpot conspiracy theorist in a blog somewhere. You know, this is not anything like that. This is a, a high-ranking official in the Vatican who has nothing at all that I can tell to be gained from lying. And as far as I know, has no history of making up lies like this. And, to, and for someone like in his position to make up a story like this about the Pope is just I mean, it's it's unthinkable, right? So, um, and he's also his his story has also been corroborated by at least one of the people that he mentioned in the report. So he said in the report, you know, I forget the guy's name, but he said this person will corroborate one my testimony, and in fact, that person did. So, um, they are very. You've, you've taken a very you've taken a very clear line on this, Matt. You've written, and again, this is Matt Walsh, who's a writer at the Daily Wire. You've written that if the allegations against Pope Francis are true, he's morally unfit and and must resign. Yeah, absolutely. If, if it's true, if it's true that he knew about the terrible deeds of Cardinal McCarrick, but chose to keep him in, keep him in power, not only keep him in power, but to lift sanctions on him, which means that he participated in a, a cover-up um, for this guy, then that means that he is morally unfit. We, we, you know, you can't have someone with that level of uh, deceitfulness and moral cowardice in the most, obviously, the most important position in the Catholic Church. He's, he wouldn't be fit to lead. I mean, if he was just some pastor of some church in. Uh, you know, in uh, in some obscure neighborhood somewhere, he, I say he wouldn't be fit for that either. But he certainly wouldn't be fit in that case to run the entire church. And the fact that he was given an opportunity, you know, in front of the cameras, in front of the media, he was given an opportunity. He was asked about this. He was given an opportunity to say, "No, this is false. It's made up. It's not true." He was given that opportunity, and he declined. He said, "I'm, I'm not going to say a word about it." Um, that to me is inexplicable. If he is innocent. I'm not saying I don't know that he isn't innocent, but it is in, if he is innocent, it is inexplicable that he would decline to simply deny the charges. But yet that's what he's so far chosen to do. And Matt, you know, you've also written that, that uh, well, here's your piece. Uh, it's up on the Daily Wire. Uh, yes, homosexuality within the priesthood is a problem. From what I've seen, 80 percent of these sex abuse cases, uh, these criminal sex abuse cases involve uh, same-sex predation. Uh, what? What is? Tell me. Walk me through the argument you make here in in your piece on homosexuality within the priesthood. Yeah. Well, eighty percent of the the victims have been male. Obviously, one hundred percent of predators have been male. 
Um, also, a vast majority, I don't know, I forget the exact percentage, but a vast majority of the victims had actually been post-pubescent. So this actually is not uh, technically, legally a pedophile scandal. And I do think that's a th- distinction is important, just, just, in, just so we understand the nature of the scandal, um, that these have been largely teenage boys and older have been victimized. Cardinal McCarrick, most of the allegations against him involve grown men. So um, clearly, this is a homosexual man. And what Vigano talks about in his report and what, some, what many other Catholics have talked about, including some who are in the know and know about these things, there is a network of homosexual um, cardinals, bishops, and priests, and homosexual activists, defenders of those, of those people in the Church, who have for decades now have been, um, have been conspiring amongst each other to keep people like Cardinal McCarrick in, in, in their positions of power and to punish people like Vigano. And I know this sounds like, you know, to people on the outside, this sounds like crazy, made-for-TV type of stuff, conspiracy theorist stuff, but this is real. I mean, this is actually what, what's been going on in the Church. It's, an, it's part of an ideological struggle in the Church that's been going on for a long time. And, um, and so there's just no... I know that you know, liberals in, in this country want to separate this issue from homosexuality, but uh, there's just no separating. I'm not saying, of course, that every homosexual is a sex predator or anything. I am saying, because it's just a statistical reality, that the vast majority of the sex predators in the Church are homosexual. So we know that. And uh, where we go from there, well, we can talk about that. But I think we have to begin yeah, well, by just simply acknowledging that. On that point of, of just in, in general, where the church where the church goes from here, Matt, you know, there was one thing that's that uh, amidst all of the the you know grotesque allegations and, and the stuff we're talking about here, the, the sex assaults, the predation, the 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 immoral. You know, that's I think people forget that, too, that there's even even if it's not necessarily criminal in some of these cases based on the age and based on, you know, the specifics of you know whether you're in a trusted position in that state, just the the lack of ethics of of priests, people that are supposed to be leading the flock engaged in this kind of behavior is in itself uh, you know awful and, and, and needs to be uh, addressed very specifically by the church. But there was one thing that that I think it was uh, McCarrick has a has a beach house, Matt, and that there were people since when do you know, I went to Jesuit school since when do Catholic priests have beach houses? What is this? Yeah, well, that's I mean, that, that's part of the, the rot and corruption that you find in some places in the church. Uh, he had a he had a beach. I mean, at least one beach house um, among other residences. And he would go to according to, to these stories, which have been corroborated in many different places. He, he would go to seminary, uh, to seminaries, and he would basically select um, a harem of homosexual seminaries and young priests. He would bring them to his beach house. They would have uh, these, you know, trysts, um, I mean, orgies, essentially, and not essentially. That's what would happen, and uh, and that's what we're going. And, and to your point, that you know, a lot of this stuff with McCarrick, you know, the the law, the, uh, the the civil authorities would have no interest in it because much of, I mean, of course, the stuff with the kids, they do have interest, but um, this other stuff involving seminarians and priests, there's no civil crime there. But um, in terms of a moral crime, in terms of the way that the church looks at it, it's very, very serious and very grave, um, obviously. So, you know, there's there's problem on both ends. Of- so what happens now? Well, what should the church do now? I mean, how do we get this, Matt, how do we get the Catholic Church back on track? Well, now that we now that there's allegations, this goes all the way to the top, then we have to start sort of the top. And I don't think we can do much until we figure out if Pope Francis is actually culpable or not. And in order to figure that out, look, uh, you know, um, Higano is a guy that apparently kept very careful records. There's a lot of memos and documents. He says in his report 
that there are memos and documents all over the place that will corroborate a lot of what he's saying. He doesn't have access to them anymore because he's retired. But what needs to happen first is that the Vatican needs to declassify all that stuff, or, you know, pub, needs to publish it, put it out there in the public eye so we can see it. Um, so that needs to happen. Everybody that was implicated by Vigano and his report needs to come out publicly and speak for themselves. There needs to be a full investigation in the church. The Pope needs to come out and, 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 and speak about this. You know, all of these things need to happen um, so that we can determine, you know, what, the, the veracity of those claims. And if it, if, if it turns out that Pope Francis is guilty, or if he decides to just ignore this and do nothing, then I think that as lay Catholics and good bishops and good priests have no choice but to assume in that case that, he, that there is a, a cover-up still ongoing and that he is part of it, if he chooses to do nothing and just try to ignore this. And that's the only—he doesn't have the benefit of—Pope Francis no longer has the benefit of the doubt. Nobody in the hierarchy does anymore. They don't have the, the benefit of the doubt anymore. Um, they need to squash that doubt by pr- producing evidence. And if they won't do that, then we have to be—you know, we have to arrive at the conclusion that there really is corruption here, even with Pope Francis. And at which point— there is no, as far as I know, there's no direct mechanism. There certainly is no mechanism by which the lay people can remove a pope, of course. But um, I think if, if people were in that situation, if it turned out that Pope Francis was guilty of covering up these, these, um, these grave moral matters, then I think that means that lay Catholics need to speak out. They need to take to the streets. They need to push their bishops to push Pope Francis and really apply pressure to get him, to get him out in that case. Matt Walsh, everybody, dailywire.com for his latest. He's been writing on this scandal within the Catholic Church and and many other things there. Somebody you should definitely be reading on a regular basis. Also, check out his podcast, the Matt Walsh Podcast. Matt, appreciate your time, sir, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Buck, appreciate it. Thank you. Team will be right back. You know, I talk about Simply Save Home Security a lot on the show. It's a fantastic security system, really great protection, very easy to use. And I've got exciting news for you. Simply Safe is valued at over a billion dollars now. This is a major company that's been built from square one on very clear and straightforward foundations like great customer service, easy to use interface, and full spectrum protection for you at a price point that anybody listening to this can afford. All right. I've been traveling for the last few days. Let me tell you, I don't worry about what's going on back at the homestead because I've got Simply Safe protecting my home from fire, theft. Any problem that you have to be worried about that a security system can cover, Simply Safe has got your back. It even keeps working during power outages or down Wi-Fi, or if a burglar tries to smash the keypad. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Visit simplysafe.com/buck. That's simplysafe.com/buck to protect your home with simplysafe.com/buck. Beto O'Rourke, folks, getting a lot of play in the media right now. A lot of folks are suggesting that uh, he may be able to defeat Senator Ted Cruz in the uh, great state of Texas. Deep, deep red Texas with the uh, conservative, I'm not sure conservative darling would be the right word, but certainly widely respected in conservative circles, incumbent Senator Ted Cruz. And and I, I got to tell you, I love this piece uh, that was up on the up on the free beacon. I'm trying to find who the author was before by by David Rutz, and it's how to write the perfect glossy profile of Beto O'Rourke, and I, I it's just it just nails it, man. Here's how he starts out this piece: Are you a media outlet with a tight budget that still badly wants to write an in-depth profile of Beto O'Rourke as the staunch progressive tries to beat Ted Cruz and turn Texas blue? 
Great news. Thanks to every other news site and glossy magazine that has already had this idea, you can write one from your home office without having to ride down a barren West Texas highway while chatting with Beto about how Texans totally want gun control and single-payer health care. Along with a heroic shot of O'Rourke with his shirt sleeves rolled up and looking dashing but determined, Here's how to make your 150th iteration of this story really shine. End quote. Look, this is it's brilliant by this piece on the free beacon uh, that uh, David Rutz has put up there. It, it's so good because it really is almost like uh, a, a game of you know Mad Libs where everything that you insert into the into the blanks, though, has to just be another variation of how awesome Beto O'Rourke is um, and, and how, you know, how he's just this this incredible candidacy. Oh, he's so amazing. You know, people talk about how politics is a rough game. I got to tell you, you know, if you're a Democrat, it's really not that rough because the national media is going to have, you know, 90 percent of the media is Democrat, 90 percent plus. So 90 percent of folks are going to be on your side. That's not hard. That doesn't feel that doesn't feel tough when you're when you can count on every major editorial board in the country. Basically, with like one or two exceptions, completely having your back. I don't think it's harder. I don't think it's hard to run. I don't think it's hard on your ego. In fact, even if you lose, you're going to have been told the whole time how great you are, how groundbreaking you are. It's easy. It's easier to run as a Democrat for office. It's easier to uh, be a Democrat in the media. I'll tell you that much. That's for that's for damn sure. You know, man, the other the other side of the aisle, if, if, if this was just a business proposition, a lot more, you know, warm, safe harbors to put into if you're a Democrat in the media than if you're a Republican. Uh, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. But he gives some specifics here. Rutz gives some specifics about how to write a essentially a piece of, of not fan fiction, but, you know, fan literature as a member of the media about uh, Beto O'Rourke. And he says, first, inspire hope and grit with your headline with a question. In the Texas Observer, Beto testing. Can Beto O'Rourke, seat of the pants, do it yourself, break the rules campaign, succeed? Washington Post. Beto O'Rourke is a Mexico-loving liberal in Texas. Can he really beat Ted Cruz? Texas Monthly. Does Beto O'Rourke stand a chance, et cetera, et cetera, against Ted Cruz? I mean, just all the way through, you ask with a uh, question mark. Then then the second point, if you're going to make your own Beto O'Rourke profile, say something about how he's like a Kennedy. Quote, this one is very important. O'Rourke sort of looks like a Kennedy, and he's youngish and has correct thoughts, thus he is Kennedy-esque. In the Me Too era, the left's fetishization of a notorious womanizer puzzles to a degree, but narrative's gonna narrative. Um, Also, talk about how he's charismatic. Uh, He has hair. He's a log shot. He was in a punk rock band. He uses edgy swear words. Texas is undergoing demographic changes. Ted Cruz is the worst. Don't forget what happened to Wendy Davis. And, and then essentially you can take those different concepts and just write your version of it. And you too can have a wonderful profile of Beto O'Rourke. Just just good to go that everybody in your newsroom will think is fantastic and, and will get you all kinds of, of acclaim from your fellow journalists. And by the way, this was a great send up of how to show just the echo chamber effect here in the media. And how they're, they're all doing the same stuff and they think that it's different. Uh, and, you know, j- look, journalism is in a crisis phase right now because it, it's undermining itself with, with every passing day. And it also is showing its, its irrelevance. Uh, people, There's so much information out there and so many people giving information 
that the traditional media echo chambers are losing ground with every day. And their treatment of Beto is just another uh, example of that. Uh, We've got much more coming up, including the Scooter Wars. I'll tell you about that. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So, you know, team, when I'm on the road, I like to give you a little bit of an update of what's uh, what, what I've seen, you know, out seeing the sights and doing the things. And uh, Miss Molly met me out here in L.A. for the weekend, so we had a very nice time. But one thing that, that did uh, come up more than I thought it would is, is the battle over scooters. Now, I had mentioned to you, in full disclosure, that I had become an electric scooter riding nerd in D.C. because they are very fun, they are very convenient, and I'm just far enough away from the office that in the dead of summer, if I wear a suit and have to walk to the office, I will arrive soaking wet with sweat, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm about a 25, 30-minute walk from the office. Whereas on one of these scooters, I get there in about six minutes. So I like them. And it turns out that the company that's behind at least one of them called Bird is based out here in uh, in the western part of Los Angeles in Santa Monica. And, and I, or maybe it's Venice, I forget where, they're right around there. And these little scooters are everywhere. And I mean, they're all over. The, I mean, there are thousands and thousands of them now you're seeing on the streets all over Los Angeles. And what's so interesting is, is that, like any other thing, and it reminds me of Uber in the early days, which has now just become a monster company, and you know, it's, people are saying it's just even getting started, and it's going to have huge impacts on, uh, on jobs and employment, and there's all kinds of stuff that Uber's going to be changing going into the future. Uh, but there's a real, the same way that people were worried about Uber replacing taxis and you know, if you're a taxi driver, what happens to you? And now this company's come along, doesn't care about you and all this stuff. Uh, people are looking at the scooters and saying to themselves, well, hold on, hold on a second. You know, what uh, What does this mean for the culture of Santa Monica and Venice Beach and these other places, which are very bicycle and surf and skateboard friendly? And now they're going to be overrun with all these tourists like me. Uh, who are showing up and want to do the boardwalk, but want to do it on this electric scooter. You know, the problem with a Segway, and I've, I've ridden on Segways before, is you you look like a huge nerd, and they're really not, they take some real getting used to, and you don't feel like you're in total control. Like, if you get too close to somebody with it, look, the owner of Segway died on a Segway. I mean, the, the founder of Segway, rather, died on a Segway. So there's clearly a little less of a ground-to-vehicle feeling of connection you have with a scooter thing uh with these electric scooters you know you're I, I know guys make fun of me i deserve it i'm a huge nerd for being on the electric scooter it's true i'm whoa here i have my scooter i know it's true but you know you, you feel like you could stop whatever you want to stop you can always switch to foot power if you want so then you're really not going to be going too fast and you can get into crowds and not worry about bumping into anybody uh but people out here man they some of them at least hate, hate these scooters and the, and the transformational technology that they represent. In fact, a guy out here I talked to today said that he had a friend who was riding on one and a stranger came up and violently pushed him off of it and said, you know, we don't want those things around here or something like that. It's like, wow. Uh, I, I went into a 
a coffee shop in Venice Beach, which those of you who aren't familiar with Venice Beach, it is uh, kind of like the East Village meets a, well, it's like if you move the East Village of New York to a beach, I guess, you know, or if you move Williamsburg, Brooklyn to a surf community. And and I was in a, a little coffee shop and I wanted one that had particular local flair and there was a woman, by the way, I saw a lot of people out here with tattoos behind the ear, which I thought was an interesting, not behind, not on their ear, but in that area of the head that's, you know, if you put your finger on your earlobe and then just moved it back a little bit, a lot of people with tattoos there, which I had not seen quite as much until I came out here, but I digress. But I asked her, I said, what do you think? Cause you're right off the boardwalk here. What do you think about these electric scooters? I was just curious. And she started cursing cursing up a storm about how bleeping terrible they are and these these stupid bleeps on their stupid bleeping scooters and the whole thing. I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is quite a uh, quite a surprise uh, to me. I had no idea. But it, it, I remember when I was in Puerto Rico and I tried to get into an Uber there and a taxi driver basically started a fight with the Uber driver because of the tensions there. So, you know, folks, one of the things about innovation and progress and disruption is that uh, when you disrupt other businesses, people don't like that. And when you disrupt their way of life, they don't necessarily like that. And uh, right out here in L.A., I'm telling you, I got in the midst of, midst of a uh, electric scooter war. Although it doesn't, it's not as cool as that sounds. Roll call's coming up. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Everybody, if you want to be a part of Roll Call, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. It's an easy way to join in on all this wonderful Freedom Hut action. By the way, speaking of Freedom Hut, this week we're going to have a Freedom Hut uh, part two of the Jesse Kelly, Buck Sexton, Sean Parnell conversation. We have an exciting announcement, I think, for one of my uh, compatriots to make on the show. So uh, plan on that. Those of you who enjoyed that last one, we're going to redo it. It's going to be a couple of guys just chatting about all the things. And uh, we're so glad that you guys enjoyed that. I have fun talking to those guys. So it's one of those things where I'll, I'll gladly do that show, you know, no matter, no matter who's listening to it. The good news was a lot of you listened to it, which was really nice and uh, very much appreciated that. Uh, let's get to it. Sean writes, hey there, Buck. Try a comparison here. Tax cheat Timothy Geithner versus Paul Manafort. Even the wiki pages on them are biased. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's true, Sean. You know, my, let me see if it's still the case. Uh, for some reason, my, uh, and producer Mike, have you, do you know about this? My, my Wikipedia page is gone. Um, my Wikipedia page is gone. I used to have a Buck Sexton Wikipedia page, and it got, somebody pointed it out to me, one of you actually, one of the listeners and uh yeah and it's gone so i don't know why somebody somebody deleted me from wikipedia so there's that um all righty aries what's up my man aries whoa uh aries wrote quite a note here buck with the passing of john mccain while i'm glad he's finally out of the senate 
uh, as he turned out to be a deep disappointment. Let's not forget that the leftists in the Democrat and Republican Party has no real respect for his service and only used him as far as it benefited them politically. While they were quick to stand up for the war hero when Trump acted like a jackass and made his comments about getting shot down, uh, guys like Trent Lott and Bush campaigns had no trouble labeling McCain as being insane because of his service. Uh, Aries goes on at some at some length. You know, Aries, I got to say, there's a lot of there's just so much exploitation of of John McCain's passing for people trying to score all kinds of points, including just the oh, look at me, look at me, how much I I love the military and, and war heroes for people in the media. There's a lot of that right now. You know, you know, guys, I'd always you can always tell you always know those of you listening to this, whether somebody is uh, deeply personally and invested in and connected to military service and what it means for men and women to serve and, and those who are doing it as, as really a brand building exercise. And I can tell you that, that uh, there are some there are some massive phonies when it comes to media people that talk about how much they love the military they they, they view it as uh as a as a kind of bipartisan virtue signaling and if you follow enough twitter accounts you'll see what i mean there's some people in the, in the news media in particular who just are always you know i just want to say how much i love the troops you go really because you you seem to take an oppositional view to everything the troops stand for on a regular basis, media person. Anyway, I, I just, I try to stay out of all that for right now. It's just kind of a, there's a lot of yuckiness going on with the way people are positioning themselves around this John McCain issue. And look, I honor the guy's service. Uh, Megan's a friend. Obviously, Megan was the host of this show before uh, I became the host. So our thoughts and prayers are with Megan. We wish her nothing but the best. And, uh, I just kind of leave it at that. I'm also somebody who doesn't, I really am not somebody who can personalize the loss of somebody that I, I actually never met Senator McCain. So, uh, you know, this is the same. I remember when, uh, when uh, Andrew Breitbart, very different kind of hero, but when Andrew Breitbart uh, passed away and I had all these friends who went around in, in round table discussion on TV and they talked about their, how sad they were in their personal remembrances. And I just said, well, I wish Andrew the best in his family. And, you know, it's untimely death and, but I didn't know Andrew Breitbart, so how, how would I be able to really go beyond that? Um, so that's that's my way of saying, you know, a lot of people making, trying to score points off of this when all that's really needed is just, you know, respect, you know, honor the man's service, respect what he did for the country um, in uniform. And, you know, as a senator, I, 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 I found him disappointing a lot of the time on a policy level, but that's this is not the time to talk about that. Uh, you know, the man just passed away. It's time to uh, honor him and his and and just wish his family all the best. Uh, Jen writes, "I love how CNN tries to belittle everyone for trying to use Molly Tibbetts's murder for political ends, and then uh, writes this stuff: the hidden tragedies in the Molly Tibbetts killing, and it's a piece on CNN. Xenophobia and gender at the heart of the national reaction to the Molly Tibbetts tragedy. Yeah, that's right. They'll take the other side of it, Jen. You're ver- you're very correct here." You know, they don't want people saying, look at what happened in this instance. Look at what was done here um, and, and how it can affect policy. But then they'll say, look at people that are trying to make this affect policy. That's wrong because of X, Y and Z. You know, they'll take the other side of the argument, in effect. And I just view that as, you know, it's it's CNN. I don't expect anything from I don't expect anything more from them uh, these days. So there you have it. Donald. Donald writes, great show. I'm a little late on the response for a previous episode. Uh, 
but Pontypool is the greatest zombie flick ever. You can deny its authenticity as a zombie film, uh, but you cannot deny its greatness as a film. I have no idea what that is, Donald, so I'll have to take your word for it. I, I would also say, and some of you, some of you are going to get mad at me. That's okay, team. We don't have to. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to get along on all things, right? I I argue vociferously with my brother sometimes on matters of of cultural taste, although we do agree on all action movie things because we're red blooded, red meat eating Americans who love action movies. Uh, but I watched. On the plane ride out, really one of the only times I ever get to watch movies is when I'm stuck on a plane because I just, it's kind of a little treat I allow myself. The, the two things that I allow myself when I'm flying on a plane uh, are I will allow myself a ginger ale because I basically, I very rarely drink soda. So I'll have ginger ale. Ooh, I feel so naughty with my ginger ale. Uh, and also I will watch a, a full length feature film. I watched the Boondock Saints. Uh, and for those who don't know, boondock is actually a term that comes from the American uh, Moro War in the Philippines. Boondock and amok are two words that we get from uh, Tagalog, uh, which is the uh, one of the indigenous languages of the Philippines. Uh, but I watched the boondock saints over the weekend, and guys, can't say that I, I there's some really cool, stylish aspects to it. Uh, the opening credits, the music is great, and just the way they show Boston, everything. So I understand why people like it and have a lot of nostalgia for it, but it's pretty weak in a lot of ways. And I know we're going to get yelled at for that. People say, oh, Buck, it's a great action movie. Eh, it doesn't really hold up all that well. It's a lot, a lot of really improbable stuff. And I don't know. You can yell at me. I, I can feel you yelling at me right now, but I, I did not. I cannot put the Boondock Saints in the same category as, say, Commando, another highly improbable action film, uh, but just has a lot more awesomeness to push it through. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, Harley. Harley, it's Buck. The Godfather is wrong about McCain. He isn't a hero. He fought in a war. Oh, wow. Harley's going there. He fought in a war we never belonged in the first place. Even if you do consider his actions in Vietnam heroic, his presence in the Senate has totally nullified that. America will be a better place now. I don't care how insensitive that sounds. Wow. Um, shields high. Well, Harley, First Amendment, you are entitled to your opinion on this one, sir. And uh, you know, there's no point in me arguing because this is just a function of what people think of McCain's legacy. And As I said, his, his military, I, I, when I say I honor the man, I honor his military service, but I, there's this other part of me that wants to also say, I don't really honor his service any differently or more than I honor the service of any of the men that I saw who were missing limbs or suffering from uh, horrific burns in Walter Reed during my time at Walter Reed. And, and and I think that John McCain, by the way, were he around today, would completely, I think he would agree with and respect that sentiment. But I, I do feel a little bit of a, uh, you know, wh why is it that because someone is a senator, they there's that now their military service goes into this kind of greater and I, and I know he wasn't just serving the military i know the stories about him being captured in hanoi and how he was brutally beaten and wouldn't leave and pow uh code said he the first one that comes is the first one that leaves and I, I i know all that backstory i'm merely saying there are a lot of people who served in incredibly honorable ways and and sacrificed as much as john mccain who you've never heard of and i do think that it's fair to say that we should honor their service every bit as much just because they're not famous or did not 
become uh, nationally recognizable politicians doesn't mean that their service is any less admirable or honorable or worthy of our of our praise and gratitude. Uh, so I, I think that there is a, a natural tension there that we need to be aware of, of let's not, you know, there, there are a lot of people who served not just in Vietnam, but in, in more recent wars, too, who left a tremendous amount on the line, uh, people that suffered you know, terrible injuries and lost friends and you know, lost, you know, comrades in arms and the whole thing. So I do think that there's a, a place for bringing that up. Uh, Nathaniel writes, Hey book, uh, keep on keeping it real. I'm a podcast listener. So a little late on this one. If you're going to go partial dork on a scooter, why not lean into it and wear a Cape? I think that 15 miles per hour would be great for Cape flutter. You're, you're right, Nathaniel. I'll take it on another note. Cuomo's claim about America never being great is really just a reflection of Obama's failure. We had eight years of Obama, the greatest president to fit all liberal molds and he blew it. I think that's how Trump should spin that idiocy. Anyway, have a jamming weekend. I'm in SoCal, but won't be heading to L.A. I hope you enjoy your time out there. Well, thank you very much, uh, Nathaniel. I, I will tell you this. Um, you know, it's it's always nice to be out in L.A., but it, it is also a reminder for me that at heart I'm an, I'm an East Coast guy. I really am. Just the truth. You know, you got to know, know thyself. To thine own self be true, as Polonius says, which we know because of Cher from Clueless, a movie about Beverly Hills. Uh, thanks again, team, for uh, joining me here in the hut, live from Southern California here in sunny Los Angeles. Great to be with you. The Godfather, because i got to travel back tomorrow, so I'm going to be in flight during the show. Godfather Michael Pelko will be in tomorrow, but I'll be in the rest of the week and for all the weeks thereafter. I'm not planning on taking off any time again anytime soon. So uh, please do join me then. Shields high. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. But brace yourselves because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Folks, you know, all your stuff is online these days. And the bad guys know that Americans in particular have a lot of equity in their homes. That means effectively for them, it's like cash just waiting to be stolen. What they do is they replace your information with a fake information set that then allows them to take loans out against your home. Once they've replaced you on your home's title, they borrow big against it, and you only find out when you get the payment request from the bank. That's right, when they call in the loan. Don't let this happen to you. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's home. TitleLock.com for your free $60 value.